the Diary of a CTO podcast. Sharing the secrets of successful CTOs. Brought to you by Trimor, the home of technology recruitment. Hosted by Guy Bevington. So Edgar, great to see you. Thanks for, uh, for joining us. How the devil are you today? Wonderful. Thanks a lot for this invitation. I think it's a really interesting opportunity to actually share a part of my learning in this process, in this journey. Good, good. Looking forward to it. Um, so by way of introduction, Edgar, you are a, a CTO and founder um, of a company called FinCrime Dynamics, um, where you're doing some really interesting and exciting work um, around synthetic data and um, this concept of financial crime vaccines. Um, so really interested to hear a little bit more about that. And uh, I'm sure we'll get into uh, to that soon. Um, but yeah, let's start with you. Um, you know, the whole point of a diary of a CTO is to hear about your story, uh, your journey. And we've obviously known each other for, for a little while now, but I think it's pretty fair to say you've got quite a, an incredible, you know, in, um, interesting and varied background in tech so far. Obviously, you know, started out as a, a software engineer and then you've done your PhD. You know, you've been a researcher and then an entrepreneur and a CTO. So, um, so yeah, it'd be great if you could uh, kindly tell us a little bit about, you know, where it all began for you and, um, you know, how you, how you got into technology in the first place. So th th thanks. Thanks a lot for this uh, nice introduction. I mean, you say already quite a lot, but just to uh, give you a little bit overview about myself, I've been in the uh, technology uh, space for around 25 years. So I, I started uh, early on as a student. Uh, I think that was the time of the dot coms where everybody was building websites. And I, I of course, uh, took a little bit of advantage of that. I'm originally from Colombia, so I fell in love with computers. I was early on on many technologies. Um, I, I did actually an internship in the Netherlands in a company that um, was using um, very interesting technologies at that time. And uh, we, we help some institutions to actually create websites faster. And, uh, and that was one of the, the, the things that made this company very successful. That company, I left the company, I went back to Colombia, but that company became an unicorn. <laughs> so it was acquired by another company. So that, that's one of the interesting stories about that. But uh, I think my journey has been a, a lot around software development. Um, I, I got a little bit, uh, let's say, uh, cultivating by research. And I decided to move to Sweden to, to pursue studies. So I, I did a master's degree in Sweden, in Linköping University. Then I moved to, to do PhD studies. And I found an area that uh, really brought a lot of passion to, to, to my background from Colombia, and it's uh, the area of financial crime. Um, and I, I was uh, trying to shift a little bit my profile from being a software developer to become a data scientist. But then the, the first problem I had was data. And, and, and then from there, my research uh, derived into the generation of synthetic data. So, so this uh, academic life was 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 really nice. Uh, at that time, I was uh, building a lot on ideas and dreams and trying to make those dreams uh, more um, from the theory to the practice, to building prototypes. So I created a couple of interesting uh, prototypes in the area of synthetic data and that caught the attention of the UK government. So I, I was brought to the UK four years ago to, to test my ideas with some prototypes. And uh, now this is the time actually where, where the FCA is, uh, is been on a journey of four years um, trying to invest some money on, on, on synthetic data. So there is a synthetic data group expert that is being 
uh, consolidated this month. So I'm, I'm going to be in London this Friday uh, uh, talking to these uh, people. So uh, I think for me, the, the journey has been impressive. Um, but just just thinking about like how I became a CTO. <laughs> so I saw a business opportunity on, on my research. And I started a company in the area of financial crime analytics using a novel techniques uh, based on synthetic data. I was I was the CTO, the CEO, the the sole programmer. <laughs> I started the company alone, and and then when the uh, the government uh, innovate UK and and some other uh, seed investors started to to find this project attractive, um, I I was able to actually enhance the team. So I brought a CEO, I brought two other co-founders. And I I focus myself on the role of CTO, so that's that's probably the short uh, uh, answer on how I became a CTO. Fair enough, good stuff, good stuff. So, do you feel you so you, you've kind of um, done that entrepreneurial journey now? You like I say you've kind of worn many hats. You've been CEO, CTO, sole developer. Do you feel you were somebody that was always drawn to leadership versus uh, staying as a an individual contributor because I think it's it's fair to say you know the best the best developers don't always make the best leaders you know, don't always make the best best managers necessarily or best technology leaders so um, yeah how did you um, how did you make that decision to kind of move away from being you know purely technically hands on and move more into the leadership space uh, I, I mean I, I still I still haven't left that uh, sole developer role <laughs> uh, I still get very focused on on certain aspects but uh, I think the, the the most important part is that you need to um, understand that when you have a vision it's very hard to get from point A to point B alone and then uh, what you need to do is to start to uh, build a team um, and sometimes when you work alone you can work very fast on certain things but if uh, it's like a sprint, you just get tired and and, and don't go don't go that fast. Uh, when you have a team, it's 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 a lot more than you can do. So you maximize the 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 scope. You uh, create specialized people with tasks. You you have a um, diversity in the team that will help you to actually explore some areas that yourself will never do. So I I, th I think the 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 key aspect here was that I I have a vision. I wanted to build a company that uh, makes a difference in the area of financial crime analytics. I thought that the, the situation was not ideal and then there, were, there was a lot of evidence on that and many people actually um, confirmed this and, uh, and, and this external validation it helped to actually build this team, uh, to motivate the team. Um, I, I think now I'm, I'm probably, uh, well, I'm just trying to change a little bit my role from being uh, hands-on all the code to, to try to drive the strategy. And uh, I, I mentioned to you that um, one of my passions is actually to um, to coach people, to to mentor uh, John software developers. So I, I'm, I'm actually building a strategy, a strategic plan to enhance the capabilities with a combination of John talent and also experienced talent. Wow, fantastic. Yeah, great. And you obviously clearly, like I say, still very technically at the coalface how important do you feel that is this conversation i often have with ctos around you know the title cto is very subjective right i mean something very different in you know in a FTSE 100 company you could be a very different cto to you know like say a, a incubator tech startup kind of organization how important do you feel it is that you know in i guess in a, an earlier stage business you are technically deft and, and kind of at the coal face and, and able to kind of walk the walk as well as, as talk the talk um how um yeah how do you feel about that 
I, I think it's, it's, it's very challenging to have all the skill sets that you require to become a, a, a CTO from day one. But uh, I think the important part is that um, the technical ability is, is is very important. So if you have the technical ability, you will be able to talk to engineers and understand exactly their problems, their needs. You you will be able to actually unblock some of the issues they, they're having. But um, I, I think one of the, the biggest transformations, I would say, in my, in my role is that I, I needed to be able to actually communicate uh, what we're doing to other stakeholders, to other um, uh, people on the board, like the CEO, the, the rest of the uh, investors, uh, in a way that they understand. <laughs> and that's not so easy. And I, I think the, the, the communication is one of the important skill sets that you need to develop when you become a CTO, because when you talk uh, engineers to engineers, it's, it's pretty straightforward. You don't understand something. You Google it now. You chat GPT. But the 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 important part is is how to communicate what you're doing in a comprehensive way to to the other people that are non-technical, yeah. that perhaps they don't see the the the, the world in the same way as you do. And I, I I have found myself in conversations with engineers about the technical beauty of what we're doing. But then um, with, with CEOs, they don't probably uh, want to listen to that. They want to listen about the business value mm-hmm. <laughs> and what, what's, your, what's the operating. So, so basically communication, trying to understand how uh, you send the message across different stakeholders about what you're doing um, is, is quite important. And, 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 and it's, a, it's a constant journey. I, I, I mean, uh, I've been rebuilding myself several times when, uh, when uh, things don't go the, the way I want. <laughs> Yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, it's, I think it's a great point and uh, certainly something I would agree with from my, you know, all the CTO searches I've conducted throughout my time. Um, clearly, depending on the maturity of the business, the scale of the business, the ability and the need to be, you know, at the coalface, technically hands-on, still maybe contributing code will vary greatly, you know, depending on the, the situation. But I definitely agree with you. The kind of core thread that I see that runs throughout a lot of the great CTOs I've worked with is definitely the softer skills. You know, it's the communication piece. It's the ability to engage stakeholders, you know, take them on that journey. Um, but like I said, it's that communication piece of, you know, is somebody able to win the hearts and minds of people that aren't necessarily overtly technical and, you know, but get them to understand how what is being worked on and built technically is actually really going to improve their, you know, um, yeah, job or, or um, yeah, ability and that kind of thing. So yeah, I definitely agree. Kind of seeing things from the business perspective, um, I think is the is the point at which people really move from being a you know a strong technical um, resource to somebody actually that can kind of drive change through the business via technology. Um, so yeah, so talk me through then your your approach historically to you mentioned a really good point there of you know when you build a team that's your point at which you can actually start to really scale something because you know clearly they you got the people that can add value in other areas um, you know that um, that you necessarily wouldn't have the time to do so talk me through your approach to how do you go about building teams and do you have any kind of unified approach that you take to you know, building tech teams um, from scratch when you when you look to hire. So uh, I would say the first um, <clears throat> thing that you need to do is to be creative, <laughs> because there is a lot of constraints, uh, a lot of constraints in terms of time, in terms of priorities, in terms of skill set, in terms of of money. 
and and the the I mean the conversations I have had with uh, some stakeholders is that even if you have all the money you want to hire people, it's it's really hard to hire the right one. Mm-hmm. So so there, there is there is always constraints and and the the obviously it's, it's, it's better to have the problem of, of finding the people than than finding the money, <laughs> but, yeah. but the or or, or per, perhaps the opposite is is uh, I would say probably I correct myself perhaps the opposite is better situation to be to have no money but have the right people because then you try to find the money for that, but uh, I think the approach I have uh, taken is uh, uh, I need to find people that are highly motivated. I think the the that's the that's the first um the first part that I and I feel this is a concept that is valid even in the early startups uh, and and in a big company. Um, I I used to I used to have a word that I try to avoid mercenaries people that just come for a job because uh, they just they just want to have a, just an income and and then they just might might do a good job but the the, the problem is that they. The IP of the company is also um, present in the know-how and the talent. And then, if you can retain this talent, uh, I think it's a win for the company. So, so contractors are, are are good to have. I think they are very valuable, but they they fit some specific roles that perhaps uh, I think my my preference is to have people in-house to uh, to drive the core business. Um, I, I think an, another approach that I take a lot is to try to um, create a, a growth path. Uh, I think many people join uh, companies because they want to have some sense of growth uh, to master some skills. So I, I try to be close to the to the engineers, to try to be close to the people I manage to understand uh, what is a possible career path that is a career path that I do not impose on them, but it's something that they choose. And, and of course, they, they, need to, they need to be clear that if they, the, the path that they chose um, it does not align with the company. Perhaps it's not the right company for them. Mm-hmm. So I try to align these two things and, and, and try to see how they fit into the company mission and values. And 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 I, I think it's been quite helpful. Sometimes um, we have we have had people in the early on stage from um, practitioners uh, doing internships. We also have hired uh, people uh, with a lot more skills. But uh, the the issue is that. It costs money, so so you need to balance the the, the resources on, on those two, mm-hmm. and yeah, that's probably a, a, the initial conception. Uh, just give them a purpose and try to give them some career path to master it, and uh, perhaps finally, if I my add is to, to uh, don't don't handhold too much, like try to empower them and give them some space for them to to explore this creativity because uh, I I don't think. Uh, Especially in this area, there is a, a little bit of a creative area. Uh, I don't think the engineers want to be told exactly what to do at a, a, every single time. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree with that. And I think we obviously spent quite a bit of time together recently at um, a recent CTO uh, roundtable. And I'm always really um, yeah, encouraged when I hear the refreshing approach from CTOs, which I think is kind of where we got to that evening was... Yeah, that it's better to hire for attitude than it is for skills alone. And of course, like you say, there's always a need sometimes of a very specific bit of work, maybe get a contractor in that's got that particular skill set where they can come in, hit the ground running straight away. But generally speaking, if you're a, a scaling business, it's much more important to get somebody that is really bought into the vision and the mission of the business. 
and um you know they can obviously like i say I, I totally agree with you when you get people i think that are fully aligned with the values and the mission really excited by the mission that's when they feel you know they can be really creative and you know like I say you get the best out of somebody that maybe if you worked in a more of a micromanagement environment where people weren't particularly excited or enthused by the the mission uh, of the business then you know um you don't quite get the same quality output so um yeah i definitely agree with that and um let's talk a little bit more about the the work you're doing at finquine dynamics things so when we first spoke i was kind of blew my mind um really interesting with this whole concept of you know financial crime uh vaccine so yeah talk, talk to us a little bit more about that obviously it's your your passion and your vision that you've mentioned to build a business in this space so uh so yeah talk, talk to us about uh, what you're doing I, I, I think the, the first uh, part is that, um, uh, as we mentioned before, we, we definitely needed to have a purpose. And I, I, I briefly mentioned that the situation is not ideal and we, we sort of identify a gap in the market. So the gap in the market that we identify is that financial institutions um, spend a lot of money and time and effort in, uh, in building uh, financial controls that um unfortunately there's plenty of evidence that they are not uh, doing what they're supposed to do or they are doing this in a, a sub-optimized way so the the i think the key aspect is that we we came out with a solution that we call the concept of financial crime vaccines and uh, and, and this works very similar to uh, um, a, a the, the vaccine that we all know so we create a, some sort of synthetic version of the virus that in this uh, in this scenario is, is the financial crime behavior. And this behavior will help the body or the financial institution to understand better the threats. And um, once the, these threats have been identified, uh, we help the financial institutions um, to optimize them, optimize the controls by, by measuring. Measuring what? Measuring the efficiency of the controls, measuring the gaps, and putting these uh, gaps into the context of the risk appetite, and uh, and they, they will understand how to uh, optimize the controls better because um, financial institutions, even they they are very wealthy, they don't have all the resources in the world to inspect every single transaction. Mm -hmm. That's a very time consuming, and and many of us we have had the problems and the issues of uh, getting our, our credit card blocked, especially when we travel abroad because it looks very suspicious. So we, we don't want to bother our customers. We don't want the criminals to get away with profit. So our solution tackles that that specific problem. So it's, it's, a, it's a very interesting concept. So the the, the concept um, is is quite is quite new in the in the area. So we, we currently are working with a number of financial institutions in, in several tasks, dissemination, we call it clinical trials because we're also working hands-on with them. But the the real effect or impact of what we're doing will be seen in the next couple of years. And uh, I think one of the most interesting parts is that uh, synthetic data is playing a key role in, in breaking the barriers of communication between uh, institutions. Uh, knowledge sharing is very important. And this is one of the key aspects that synthetic data is unlocking the cooperation. So I, I mentioned previously that I will be uh, in London this Friday talking to experts around synthetic data. And the FCA uh, has recently published some reports saying that the use case that they want to explore is, is very related to what we're doing with the company. So it means it seems that we're doing something right. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Perfect. Well, it's like you say, it sounds like you've really, well, clearly it's a big problem that you're solving and uh, one that's there's a real 
probably desire, I'm sure, from a lot of financial institutions to uh, to have a, a product like yours. Um, and I think, yeah, we spoke about this before, but I also think just the concept from a, you know, I don't want to cheapen it by saying a marketing perspective, but the con- the whole concept of, you know, financial uh, crime vaccines, I think, especially off the back of the last couple of years, you know, with, with the pandemic and COVID and that kind of thing, it's obviously such a relatable concept, I think, that people can really kind of wrap their head around as well, that, you know, probably it must land uh, you know probably a lot better now um i guess in in the aftermath of the of the pandemic when you're speaking to people that people actually like okay yeah kind of understand why we're doing this and um you know i guess that's a, a very positive thing for you guys as well um but the, just take thing about this synthetic data and i guess sort of building this this product from scratch you know it feels like it's a problem that like you say, from a creativity point of view, there's a whole wealth of different ways you can approach it. And, but it feels like a problem that actually will probably marry together quite a lot of both software engineering and kind of data science approaches when it comes to, you know, the synthetic data piece. Um, so, um, so yeah, how do you kind of see that, that sort of panning out in terms of the, I guess, the approaches that you, you'll sort of take to this problem? Yeah, uh, I mean, it, it's definitely um, uh, a solution that requires a very strong component of, of technical um, um, pieces. So the, the the data science part is is fascinating. I, I think everybody has seen in the uh, recent years the capabilities that AI has to solve complex problems. And I think one of the biggest restrictions of AI is data. And, and the data is, is basically um, the fuel for for the, the engine of machine learning. So so the value proposition that we have around synthetic data uh, ticks a lot of the boxes that that the the, the concept of financial crime vaccine is is getting. Um, I think the key aspect here is that in software in, in software testing is really important. And when we don't, when we deploy controls without proper testing, without uh, assessing the, the scenarios that haven't been seen before, um, I think the, the, we, we take a high risk. And then this risk is, is basically converted into a cost for the financial institution. So what we're trying to do is to actually minimize that with technology. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. What do, you, what do you feel has been, I guess, in this, it's, it's quite a pioneering area of tech and, you know, say a lot of the, um, the biggest findings probably yet to be, you know, yet to sort of come out in the next couple of years. But so far on this journey, what have been some of the kind of unforeseen or the biggest challenges that you've, you've faced when, you know, building out this concept, building out this product um, as, a, as a technology leader? Yeah, I, I think from a... Um, um... From a technical perspective, um, we we were working on cutting edge technology. So um, people like me were not um, available uh, out of the box in the market. So so it was really hard to actually find um, people that have this matching concept of domain expertise in financial crime and at the same time uh, expertise in, in in generation of synthetic data. And, and just and just to to end up the expertise in machine learning to actually build the controls. So so those kind of expertise or, or marrying those expertise are, are really hard. And I think the market um, is now is now being more aware that, that synthetic data engineers are required. Mm-hmm. And and there are uh, there is a lot more understanding uh, since uh, ten years ago when I started to write uh, my my papers about. Uh, how useful it would be to use synthetic data because uh, I think mo- most of the data scientists approach is that 
uh, we have enough data, so why we should bother about synthetic data? Uh, so some of the the um, the approaches of the um, of the expert domain experts is that um, we we just we have so much data that we we, we just can't cope up with with all this information, and 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 every day that we see something, um, sometimes it's new because the crime evolves a lot. So there is, mm. uh, so, so there, there is a lot of need to actually match the domain expertise with the technical capabilities to actually tackle the problem in a real way. So mm. so there, there is definitely a lot of challenges in finding people that are ready. For, for working in companies uh, like us. Um, I, I would say it's not some of the challenges and that uh, lucky for us, they are, uh, the gap is less than this, is that the, 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 the processing capabilities that AI requires and also some technical solution are, are quite high and demanding. But uh, lucky for us, I think the, the, the cloud computing uh, solutions around that, that allows this capability are 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 matching our or demands. So that's I, I think that's that's probably one of the things why these kind of solutions were not built ten years ago, because mm -hmm. it was very expensive. Yeah. <laughs> now, now we're getting to the point that uh, the solutions can be built in a, a cost-efficient way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I guess cloud has got a real direct impact on that, hasn't it? In terms of being able to actually scale in a relatively yeah cost-efficient way. Uh, but yeah, that's a really good point you make about obviously that. That sort of profile, I guess, that kind of Venn diagram of those different overlapping areas of, of the kind of person that's going to fit within the business and really add value to uh, to what you're doing. But um, like I say, hopefully with with awareness greatening in the market, it's going to become exponentially easier to uh, to find these people. And, and it feels like you're right at the, the the crest of the wave, you know, sort of ahead of, of the rest of the market. So uh, you know, fingers crossed, you can kind of position yourself as the uh, just the authority in the space and, um, you know, attract a lot of talent organically as a result of that, hopefully. Um, okay, fantastic. Well, really, really, really enjoy the chat, Edgar. I think it's really uh, very interesting work that you're doing. And, um, yeah, I love your your backstory and, and kind of how you've got to the, the place you've got to, clearly a really deep passion and, and a mission. And I think that's, I mean, just for my own personal journey, I think that's really important that the leader of any business has real vision and a real passion for the mission that they're on um you know it's the reason i started true north in the first place it's something i you know i'm kind of less bothered about how quickly we get from a to b and i'm more bothered about you know how we get there with the right people and people that buy into the mission and buy into the vision so i think it is a very very important thing of a, a leader of any business to really to have um and um yeah you know i, I look forward to uh keeping uh, abreast of all of your um, you know your big wins and, and development in future um i like to end every podcast um by asking the same question which is if there was one favorite piece of advice that you had gathered over the years or you know your one favorite piece of advice that you'd like to pass on to uh, to your fellow humankind um yeah what, what would that be uh, I, I think one of the key aspects um to succeed in in as a city or, or probably in any task that you that you dream of accomplishing is uh, perseverance. So so if, if you persevere, if you don't give up, if you uh, every day you incrementally do something, uh, you're gonna be faster than anyone <laughs> that is not trying at all. So so if, if you if you if you really want to get to a point uh, that that you dream uh, is materialized, uh, the only thing you need to do is to put 
effort in the right uh, direction. So so don't don't give up the decision. Sometimes uh, yeah we 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 try things that don't work, but uh, just take those as a learning experiences and and move on. Yeah, I love that. I think that's a great great way to end. And I think. Uh... Yeah, absolutely. I see that as the real role of a, a leader is to almost reframe failure for people that they're kind of coaching and mentoring, um, you know, because I totally agree with you, certainly in recruitment, you know, the first kind of year of anybody doing this job is just failure left, right and center. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. You know, it's a good thing. And, and uh, that's the way you learn. And, um, you know, a, a winner, one of my favorite quotes is a winner is a loser that didn't give up. You know, that's that's true. Everybody, everybody loses. Everybody totally agree with us. Yeah, um, and you just got to keep keep moving forward and uh, like say, yeah, take take that perseverance um, on board. So uh, fantastic. Well, Edgar, thank you very much again for taking part. Great episode. Really enjoyed the chat. And uh, yeah, very much look forward to keeping in touch. Best of luck with Finquine Dynamics. I'm sure you'll go from uh, strength to strength. And uh, yeah, we'll definitely be keeping my eyes and ears uh, posted for uh, for your future successes. Thank you very much for the invitation. I'm really happy to be here. No worries at all. Take care. Bye for now.